be dismissed to junior church. <clears throat> you might wonder, what did I do to have Laura kick me out? <laughs> the list is long. <laughs> we don't have time on a Sunday morning for that. Um, but as we think about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we realize that unpacking forgiveness is a lot like moving. You can move in a day, can't you? A whole house can be moved in a day. But unpacking, unpacking, now that takes weeks, months. Perhaps some of us still have boxes in our living room, much like the McMeachams. This is the McMeachams. They just moved a couple of weeks ago. That's their living room right now. And uh, they know how difficult it is to go through that stuff, especially to downsize, and to figure out, where's all this stuff going to go? And so it is the same way in life, that traveling through life cannot be done without learning how to unpack forgiveness. We sin against each other. Uh, we hurt each other. Uh, many of us in here have been hurt in multiple ways, very, very deep hurts. And only in God's Word do we find how to unpack forgiveness and the power to forgive. But here's my uh, open confession here at the beginning. The first half of this sermon is going to make you squirm. I am talking like uncontrollable. If you were here for first service, uh, they would attest to that. Um, and here's why. We're going to look at what God requires of us in forgiveness first. What, what we have to do. And then at the end, we'll look at the power that we have to forgive. And I just want you to know that I want to, as your shepherd, to be gracious to you and to be kind to you and deliver God's word in a way that, that is not uh, seen as just ripping off a wound. It is hard to talk about forgiveness without each of us not thinking about a specific instance in which we've been hurt. So this is not just a, a case study at a seminary about how to teach forgiveness. This is where real lives are at stake here. And so I understand that you will squirm, and I understand that it will be uncomfortable. So let's just begin our time with prayer, okay? Uh, God, we thank you this morning that we can come to you as our Father, our Father who art in heaven, who had a plan for us to be forgiven from the foundation of the world. Lord, we thank you for your Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ our Savior, who made a way for us to be forgiven. And Lord, we also thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who you implant in each of us that knows you as our Savior, who prompts us to confess our sin, who prompts us to seek forgiveness, and who empowers us to forgive others when they sin against us. We pray that you would move this... Uh, time in God's word from our heads to our hearts to our hands that we would forgive others as we want you to forgive us. We ask all this in your name. Amen. So the first thing we have to do if we're going to unpack forgiveness is we have to ask the million dollar question. As we unpack it here, let's see what do we got in this suitcase. We have what? What is forgiveness? In order to really understand this whole message, we have to agree on what does it mean for God to forgive us? What does it mean for us to forgive one another? And there is so much confusion about this point in the world and in the church. So it's very, very practical for us to take a quiz right now. Pop quiz. Don't you just love those teachers? On the back of your bulletin, there are 
uh, five true and false questions. I want everyone to take it, okay? Everyone has to take it. Give me your instant reaction to it. And, and here's why this is so practical. Every single one of you believes something about forgiveness. Every single one of you has an idea about what forgiveness is, and that determines whether or not you give it. So here are the five questions. You don't have to answer out loud. We will give you the answers in this service, but I want you to honestly try to do this on your own. First one, true or false? Where deep wounds between people are concerned, forgiveness can be unpacked in a moment. True or false? You can circle it. I don't want you to influence anybody else. I have, in, in both services, it's been great. Uh, there are people that just can't wait to talk. And, um, and, and that, is, that is so not me. And so I am refreshed when people do it. Uh, I'm always afraid of getting the answer wrong. Um, but I love it when people are willing to put it out there. So number two, true or false? Forgiveness occurs properly only when certain conditions are met. There's conditions to our forgiveness. Number three, true or false, a willingness to forgive is a test of whether or not a person will go to heaven when he or she dies. Number four, there are times when it is wrong to forgive. I'm messing with you now, aren't I? They, these seem so simple. And the last one, true or false, Christians do not need to ask for forgiveness because all of their sins have been paid for. Actually, it's a, that's the only question we're not going to get to the answer of today. There's not enough time. And so there is a one-page sheet out back that is, do Christians have to pray, Father, forgive us our sins, since he has already forgiven us our past, present, and future sins on the cross? Do we have to daily do that? I'll unpack it a little bit in the sermon, but there's a one-page sheet out there because there are some that that question really bothered. And so I wanted to make sure they knew that I cared enough to address it. So let's see how you did. If you didn't get a perfect score, you can be humble and you can say, wow, I got a lot to learn about forgiveness. So here we go. Maybe you got the perfect score. You still need to be humble or you'll have to practice confessing your sins so we can forgive you. Okay. Um, so here we go. True or false, where deep wounds between people are concerned, forgiveness can be unpacked in a moment. False. Number two, forgiveness occurs properly only when certain conditions are met. True. I know, it's going to be a long morning. <laughs> Number three, true or false, a willingness to forgive is a test of whether or not a person will go to heaven when he or she dies. True. Yep, I know. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer was supposed to be a safe sermon series. I know. Number four, true or false, there are times when it is wrong to forgive true. And number five, Christians do not need to ask for forgiveness because all of their sins have been paid for. False. So I think I've piqued your interest or at least irritated you. And, uh, and so if you are here and you're humble and you want to say, I want to learn more, starting Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're going to go through Luke 15. And the question is, our sermon series is going to begin, forgive or not to forgive. That's going to be our sermon series from Easter all the way through June. We're going to go through the book of Philemon. And the next slide shows you here are the sermon titles. 
and we encourage you to invite your friend and to look at these and see if even your unsafe friends deal with these questions. When I'm sorry, isn't sorry enough? How often do I have to forgive? Can you forgive and forget? Can you really hate the sin and love the sinner? How about this one? When should I get involved? I mean, it's between the two of them. And in Philemon, we have Paul who's writing a letter, and he's in between Onesimus and Philemon. I don't want to get involved. When I don't feel forgiven, I just can't forgive myself. You hear that a lot today. You Sunday, that's a joy, first Sunday in June. Then we're going to pick it back up again. I don't get mad, I get even. The bitter taste of sweet revenge. What does God's word have to say about that? And last, no longer a slave, gospel partners. How did Philemon and Onesimus reconcile? And what happens when Christians can't get along? And how do we reconcile? And so I encourage you uh, to consider inviting friends out starting on Easter. The Easter sermon is going to be, is forgiveness more than a feeling? Which is what a lot of us think forgiveness is. It's I got to get my feelings in order. I don't feel like I can forgive you yet. Right? And so I know that in this sermon this morning, I am going to raise more questions than answers. Here's my promise to you. After the service, I'm going to be right over in this room. We're going to have a question and answer time. And on Easter Sunday, we don't have Sunday school after or before. And so there's going to be a question and answer for our guests and for you after the Easter Sunday. Because I know that I'm stirring the pot this morning. Okay? I know that. It's God's word. In his sovereignty, we get to forgive us our debts as he forgives our debtors, and that's where we are this morning. And so I've piqued your interest. Let's look at what does it mean to forgive people. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verse 12. Christ compares forgiveness to paying a debt. Hear it again. And forgive us our what? Debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so Christ compares forgiveness with canceling a debt of what is owed. Very easy illustration. I let you borrow my wheelbarrow. The reality is I probably borrow your wheelbarrow, okay? New homeowner, uh, I have borrowed several people's wheelbarrow over the course of the past year and a half. And uh, so you borrow my wheelbarrow, you return it, and guess what? You return it with a flat tire. Look at it, I'm like, well, that's going to be helpful. And uh, I have a choice, don't I? I can either make you pay for that flat tire, or I can absorb the cost and pay for it myself. Hear this. We can't ignore the flat tire. Okay? Think about that in terms of forgiveness. Can't just ignore it. We also can't minimize the cost. We can't make it cost less than what it does. It is what it is. Home Depot, five bucks for a tire. I have to pay that for that inner tube, or you do. We can't minimize the cost. So the first step in forgiveness, hear me, first step in forgiveness is rightly accounting the cost. You got to know how much it's going to cost. And the same thing applies to us relationally, because here's the principle. When somebody wrongs you, they also rob you. When somebody wrongs you, they also rob you. They rob you of your joy. They, they rob you of a goal. They, they, they rob you of your wealth if they stole that. They rob you of your time. How about this, church? People talk about you behind your back. They rob you of your reputation. 
how is that? They talk about you and it spreads throughout the church. And all of a sudden my reputation, like feathers, has just kind of gone off the window. And I can't get them and put them all back together. My reputation is, is soiled because of what everybody has said about me. And I just can't get it back. They all believe it. And so if you are going to forgive them of that wrong, if you're going to forgive them of that debt, you will have to absorb the cost and bear the payment yourself. Do you see how important that is for us this morning in our definition of forgiveness? Because a lot of times we think of forgiveness, this, this is what forgiveness is not. No big deal. You know what? Don't worry about it. It, it doesn't matter. Will you forgive me? Okay. Gabby Tordeski, first service, told me that her family never lets them say okay when somebody says, will you forgive me? In my household, after 13 years of marriage, my wife knows my tell. I am telling you as a pastor, please be gentle. Laura says, Josh, will you forgive me? And I say, sure. She goes, you're still harboring bitterness against me. You didn't forgive me. You're going to keep replaying that and keep counting that against me? And that doesn't, the word sure doesn't go in our household. Now, she's gracious to let it go for a little while, then come back and remind me that I never actually forgave her. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, that hurt. You wronged me. You know what? I'm going to release you of that debt and that payment. I'm not going to hold it against you. I am going to, if that person is a believer, allow the cross to pay for that sin. And you know what? You can still forgive an unbeliever, but they will have to pay for that sin in eternity in hell. That is what forgiveness is. I release you from any claim. I release you from the debt that you would owe me. Now, I wonder if some of you are hearing that, you're going, wow, that just sounds so unfair. That sounds so unjust. Maybe you're an unbeliever here. We welcome you. We're glad you're here. If you're a skeptic and you don't like what Christ is saying about uh, the issue of forgiveness here, we're glad that you have questions. And I could understand how you could feel that this is very unfair. I was the one that was wrong. I didn't do anything. I am the victim here. And you're saying, I have to bear the cost? I have to pay the debt? That is not fair. That is unjust. Christ welcomes your questions. Because you know what? He is not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done. You see, the, if you're new to church, the story of the Bible is that God created us. And as he created us, he made each of us in his own image. We owe our very existence to God. Everything we have is on loan to him. Our very lives, our talents, our treasures, our life and our breath. All that we do is on loan to God. We owe him everything as our creator. You know what we have done? Instead of using our gifts and our treasures and our talents for his glory and for his worship, out of a big thank you, we have done it and we have rebelled against him. We have rebelled against the king. We have committed high treason. We have used it against him. And God's word says we have accrued a debt. Not just any small debt. Not only the things that you've done, but hear this. Even the things that we haven't done that we should have. Our sins of omission and sins of commission have accrued in an, infinite, an infinite debt. So guess what we need? We need an infinite payment. 
A, a payment that, that we can't make. So go over with me in your Bibles to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. And see how Colossians 2 words Christ's forgiveness of us in the form of canceling a debt. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Here it is. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The only way for God to forgive us was if God paid the infinite payment. Because we owe an infinite debt. We can't earn it back. And so hear this. The only way the Bible says that you can be forgiven is not if you work for it. It's only if you ask for it. We cannot work for our forgiveness. We have to humbly just ask for our forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that you work for. Something that you ask for. When we say, Father, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts, as Matthew chapter 6 says. And do we now understand this morning that in order for us to be able to pray that prayer, Christ had to go to the cross. The very prayer that many of us have recited, even before we were Christians, raised in churches, the Lord's Prayer, to utter those words, it took Christ in his life. And so our salvation this morning is not cheap. Hear this, forgiveness is gracious, but it's not free. When you forgive someone, you are saying, I will be gracious to you, but it's not free. Somebody has to pay for the wheelbarrow wheel. Either that person's going to pay for it, and it's not forgiveness, or you are going to absorb that cost and give forgiveness. So that's ask you the question this morning, have you ever had a time when you've asked God to forgive you of your sins? to cancel your debt, not to make you pay it, but to trust the finished work of Christ who paid it in full. As Ernie said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let's unpack it a little bit more. If forgiveness of our debt is, is not cheap, what conditions are there on forgiveness? Most of you hated those two questions when it came to, are there conditions? And is it ever wrong not to forgive? And I said, no, it's not. And that, the, this front row over here, man, they, they, they were hostile. I'm glad there's a little bit of, you know, <laughs> wood between me and you. Um, you know, but again, we welcome your questions after the service as we, as we talk this out. What are the conditions on forgiveness? So here's the question. It might be new to you. It's a theological question, but I know you can handle it because we're going to unpack it. Here's the question. Is forgiveness conditional or unconditional? If you say that forgiveness is unconditional, it means that there is no conditions upon it. And this is what that means for you. That means that you have to forgive somebody, even if they never come to you, even if they never say, I was wrong, it means that you have to forgive them. That's what the world calls forgiveness. And it has crept into the church as well. We picture forgiveness as getting our emotions under control we have to just kind of feel right about it. And then we try to figure out, here's the thing that we always try to do. How can I just let this go? 
How can I just get over it? And there are some in here that are just so good at that, and they look at us and they're like, why can't you let go of your grudges? I mean, why can't you just let it go, let it go? Let, okay, I mean, you guys know the song. All right, so, uh, you know, we, we have that, we have some of those people here, and we struggle and we wonder, you know, why, why can't I get over this? Why is there still bitterness going on? So why can't I just move on? And the reason why some of us might be struggling is because we think that forgiveness should be unconditional. Even if somebody never asks, even if somebody never says that it was wrong, we just think that we, we're supposed to forgive them. But I want to argue from God's word that forgiveness is conditional. I know this is going to be hard to hear, but go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. I want to look at one very important word. And I have to enunciate to make sure that <clears throat> this world is understood, and that's not one of my gifts. And forgive us our debt, you say it the next word, as. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What he is saying is that these two things are parallel. Okay, The way in which God forgives us should be the exact same way we forgive others. Now, first service, someone wanted to know, is this same truth taught in the epistles of Paul? And the answer is yes. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, not just Jesus, but Paul continues this, and he says that we are to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. So I can argue this here from the words of Jesus, and for some, the words of Paul mean more. And we can argue it from the words of Paul. Here's the million-dollar question. Does God forgive everybody, whether they ask or not? No. He doesn't. Do, do all people go to heaven? No. Now, don't misunderstand me. God offers the gift of forgiveness to everybody. It is offered. It's legitimate. He is willing to forgive, not willing that any should perish. He wants everyone to have it. But what does that person have to do? They have to meet a condition of... God doesn't do it like that, okay? Uh, but he has to meet a condition. What does the Bible say is the condition of our forgiveness of sins? Go over with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 13, 3. A condition of our forgiveness is that we repent. Mark 13, 3 says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Mark 1, 15 says, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this is where we often get an easy believe as a message, and it creeps into every single church. And here it is. You don't have to repent of your sins. You know what the gospel is? It's accept Christ as your Savior. If you want Christ to be your Savior, you don't want to go to hell? Accept Christ as your Savior. And there is no talk about repentance. But a gospel without repentance is a gospel of self-pity. There, wake up, there is a danger in the church of thinking that your repentance is a false repentance because it's all about self-pity. I don't want to get caught. I don't, I don't want the consequences. And you care more about you than you do your sin. 
Go over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Again, this is Paul speaking, and he does talk about repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, I want you to see it for yourself, and I want you to see the difference between a self-pity kind of sorrow and a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself. Here are the signs of godly repentance. What indignation you hate that sin. What, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. You see, biblical repentance doesn't just admit sin. It also wants to forsake sin and disown it. Now, we're not perfect in that. I'm not saying that you have to clean yourself up before you get saved. But there is a repulsion to sin. I don't want that anymore. I want you, Lord. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. And so repentance is a condition of forgiveness. God doesn't give forgiveness without you saying, God, will you forgive me? And if God doesn't forgive sin without repentance, he is saying, our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts. How? As we forgive our debtors. Or Colossians 3.12, we should forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. Well, how has Christ forgiven us? Only if we have met the condition of repentance. Go over with me to Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Luke 17, 3 through 4. As you're turning there, I love to embarrass first-time guests. First-time guests in the back row, Gemma. First time here. She's beautiful. The Knolls are there with her, the little baby. Don't shake her hand. Only touch her feet as long as there's socks on it. First-time parents, germs, don't do it. Okay, you guys know how it is. All right, um, but they are, we're glad you're here. Luke 17, 3 through 4. Listen to the conditions. So the same way that God forgives us is the same way he wants us to forgive others. Three, Luke 17, 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. But listen to this. And if he repents, what are we supposed to do? Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to forgive him. And so forgiveness is not automatic. Forgiveness is not unilateral. Forgiveness is a relational transaction between two people. So think of forgiveness like this. Think of forgiveness as a handshake. Can you shake your own hand? Let's try it. Everybody, come on, let's try it. Shake your own hand. I want to see some hands move here. Come on, put them together. Can, okay, switch it. Can you shake your own hand? Now you can do some fist bumps, okay? Okay, but, but you can't do your own hand. And when we think that forgiveness is all about me and that I have to forgive that person for me and they've never asked for it, that is not forgiveness. Okay? Now you've got to come back to more sermons and hear, what do I do with someone who's never asked my forgiveness? What do I do with a dad who, who hurt me and abused me, but now he's dead and he's never asked for forgiveness? Those are real legitimate questions. We're going to work through those. But if somebody never asks for forgiveness, you don't have to forgive them according to how God forgives you. Because God's not going to forgive you if you don't ask. But it doesn't mean that you don't love your enemy. So, Josh, I, I can be bitter with that person? I, I can hold grudges? 
You're telling me I don't have to forgive somebody unless I say I'm sorry? No, I'm not saying that. Now you have to love your enemy. You have to be ready and willing, just like God who has it offered to everybody. He, he has the present ready. If anybody would ask, if anybody would turn, he is willing to give it. This is not like, oh, where did I put that box of forgiveness, okay, that I had for you? It's not misplaced. As soon as that person says, I'm sorry, and what I did was wrong, whew, as much as is possible with you, be at peace with all people. It's there. You're willing and you're ready. Last point here, why must I forgive? What's coming? Okay. Um, it seemed fun in my head during the week. Um, why must we forgive? Let's be honest. Have you found it easier to commit a sin than to forgive a sin? Why is that? Man, we are so sensitive when somebody wrongs us. They didn't talk to me on the way out from church. <laughs> I didn't see you. You know, he shook everybody's hand. He got to me and he was like, see ya. Okay, I mean, what is it? And yet when we wrong somebody else, what do we say? They're sensitive. Just get over it. I mean, I was trying to be nice and they interpreted it as a kick in the shins. Put on your big boy pants. Get over it. Now here, why do we need to forgive? Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. And you will see that there's a link between us being forgiven and us being forgiven people. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you've been falling asleep, wake up. Dare you pray that prayer? Would you want God to forgive you in the way that you forgive other people. Man, when we want God to forgive us, we want it immediately. Lord, forgive me now. We want it graciously. We don't want him hanging it over our head. We don't want him holding it against us forever. He doesn't even make us grovel over every single sin. Because we, we would have too many confess, right? Sins of omissions in the commission, and yet you want that person when they're apologizing to you? Nope, I want the list. Itemized. You didn't say this one. There's a link here, and look at how provocative he puts it in verses 14 and 15. Rick Jordan last week in prayer meeting said, are you going to hit 14 and 15? I said, Lord willing, here it is. It's a promise and a threat. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's a promise. Here's the threat. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, many people misinterpret that, and they say, my forgiveness earns God's forgiveness? Is my forgiveness a work? That, that if I forgive, then God has to forgive me, but if I don't forgive, then God doesn't? Doesn't that make salvation all about what I do? It's not what it's saying here. Don't misunderstand that. What it is saying here is that those who have truly experienced and apprehended what it means to forgive, forgive others. You, you, you can't experience God's forgiveness and the weight of that infinite debt and not go, sure, I'll forgive you those peanuts. Go back to Matthew chapter 18. It's told in a parable. 
you have to read this. Beloved, if there is a week that you need to get God's word out and see it for yourself, it is this because there are some of you that are already saying, I am not going to forgive. I can't forgive. I am unwilling to forgive. And you know what God's word says? If you are unforgiving, you better check the quality of your salvation because unforgiving people point to the fact that they've never experienced forgiveness themselves. It is a test of your salvation if you can forgive others because we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. The man who won't offer forgiveness burns the bridge over which he must cross to get to heaven. There are no unforgiven people in heaven. Therefore, there should not be any unforgiving Christians here on earth. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As seven times? I mean, Peter thinks he's doing him a favor. I'll forgive him seven times in one day. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Then he tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and for payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I, I, I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. When that servant went out, he, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and he went, and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I, I, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Hear this. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his infinite debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The point is the monstrosity, the inconsistency between being forgiven zillions and then forgiving peanuts. We all need to realize the weight of that this morning. If people come to you and say, I was wrong for, fill in the blank, go ahead, I was wrong for, I sinned against you when I did that, I have asked God to forgive me, and now I am asking you, will you forgive me? And you say, not a chance? God's word should challenge your thinking. That if you refuse to forgive everybody, it might mean that you have never been forgiven yourself. These words are hard. I pray that they are gracious words to you because there's life in Christ but I believe these words are needed in a church right now because this church can be destroyed by people that come here every week, that live a moral life, that don't practice forgiveness, who hold a death grip on their grudges. And if you are unable or unwilling to offer forgiveness, the Bible says you should check the reality of your salvation. 
Charles Spurgeon said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Because what is that saying? Father, forgive me as I forgive my brothers. If you haven't forgiven them, what are you actually saying to the Lord? Lord, don't, don't forgive me. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, put it like this, a man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Forgiveness is a test to see if we really have apprehended and experienced the personal forgiveness of God and our Savior. And so you just hear the test like this. Will you fail to forgive when he died on the cross to forgive you? Will you fail to not be anxious about that money when Christ became poor so that you might become rich, the Bible says. Would you not forgive what someone did to your reputation and to your name and how they slandered you? When the Bible says in Philippians 2, he became of no reputation for you, that no one recognized him. He, he wasn't honored as God or seen as God. In fact, he was crucified for you. Would you hold on to your pride when he emptied himself of all for you? So here is the toughest sentence of this whole sermon. And you can say, Josh, you're young. You haven't been through a whole lot. You're an idiot for preaching this. <laughs> no matter what someone has done against you, you have been forgiven more by God the Father. And I don't know what everyone's been through. That, 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 that's the scary part. But hear this. No person would ever say, I don't need to be forgiven. No, no sane person would ever say that. But every time you're not offering forgiveness, you know what you're saying? I don't need to be forgiven. Here's the temptation. When people sin against you, what do you say? How dare you? You did that to me? After all I've done for you? I would never do that to you. And this is why forgiveness flounders. Here, Miroslav Volf, it's a complicated quote, but we're going to break it down. He's Croatian. I love it. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. This is what happens. When we get sinned against and we're going, huh, who would do such a thing? No one would ever do that. You know what we're doing to that person who is our enemy at that moment? We are taking them and we are saying, there is no one like in all of humankind like you. And we're removing that person from the pool of humanity. No one would do such a thing. And then when we say, I would never do that. You know what we're doing? We're taking ourselves out of the pool of sinners. We're not a sinner. We would never do that. But the same DNA that is in an acorn is in the oak tree. None of us can stand here knowing what the Bible says about our heart, that it is deceitfully wicked above all else, that every imagination is on a wicked thing, and to say, I would never do that. It is a lie from the pit of hell. And we have done far worse things to God than anyone has ever done to us. And we are self-righteous and we don't offer forgiveness. So I want to challenge you right now as we wrap it up. Men, you want to step up? You want to be every man a warrior? Every other book that we've gone through? You want to be bold? 
Men, when's the last time you asked your wife, will you forgive me? Not I'm sorry. Why doesn't I'm sorry work, ladies? It's an emotion. It's an emotion. I, I feel bad that I did this. Guys, not I'm sorry that you interpreted it this way. <laughs> okay. Also not good. Okay. True confession, true repentance begins where blame shifting ends. Right? It's the woman you gave me. It's this that happened. It's that that happened. I'm sorry that you heard it. What I meant to say was this. How could you miss? This was a hug, not a kick. How did you miss that up? Who do you need to forgive? I am realizing that we are a church that is a melting pot. And we are a melting pot of people from a lot of other churches. This is hard to say. Do you have any elders or past pastors that you need to forgive? The reason why you're here is because you ran from them. I'm not saying they're innocent. I'm not saying they didn't hurt you. I'm saying, do you need to go and seek to forgive them if they're willing to repent? And I pray that those people are. But I want you to do that tough work. It's going to bring us together as a church. Lastly, do you know that God can forgive you? Have you ever asked him to? Maybe today for the first time you're realizing I'm a sinner that has a huge debt. The wages of sin is death. I'm either going to pay for it with my own life or Christ can pay for it with his. Do you want that great exchange where he takes your payment and you get his righteousness? That is offered to you today if you repent and believe the gospel. It's a good news. I'd also say that as your pastor... It's not going to be solved in a sermon. I have opened a can of worms. I think I kicked it, and then I stirred it. You need relationships, discipleship, small groups, the question and answer after the service, to get involved in people's life, to hold them, because guess what? Forgiveness is not an event. Forgiveness is like unpacking. So what does that mean? It's a process. I understand that some of you are wrestling with forgiveness, and there are people who have never said that they're sorry to you, never repented, and this is the first time that you've ever even heard that I don't have to give forgiveness. But I'm not saying that you can be bitter. I'm not saying that you can just, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm saying we have to learn how to love our enemies, even our small enemies. And also learn when to overlook. Love covers a multitude of sins. If Laura held me to every single time I did something wrong in the house, we would never get beyond me saying, will you forgive me? She has to overlook some of those things, right? Out of love. A couple of things for you as we close. I have two of these books. It's called Unpacking Forgiveness. I want to give each of these away today to someone who says, this has rattled my cage. I am struggling with this. I want to devour that book this week because I need help. Because what you have said, it sounds like it's from God's word, but I got a lot of questions. This is not a fun story kind of book. It is easy to read, but it is just going through tough questions. Like, what do I do with an unrepentant sinner? How do I stop thinking about it? Um, When do I give forgiveness? Um, How can I conquer bitterness? What if Christians cannot agree? What if I won't forgive? Should I just get over it? Is forgiveness more than a feeling? All of those things are covered here. If you want to come and meet me in the room over here for question and answers, I'd love to be able to hear what your concerns are and hopefully deal with them in grace. 
Thank you for allowing me to share God's word with you today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. And we think about this closing hymn. I'm sure we probably don't have time to sing it. But when we say, how could uh, amazing love, how could my Savior die for me? Lord, may we have that view of who you are and what you've done to forgive us be the conditions in which we forgive others. Lord, we know so much more about how you forgive us than how we can forgive others. May we learn from you and be Christ-like in how we do it. We pray that you'd empower us with your Holy Spirit to do this this week and to tell others about how they can do it as well. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. I went a little bit over. Let's do the, the, the one verse of And Can It Be. Thank you. Terry Moore, just for you.